I think we really do need to talk a bit about this manifesto. The Labour yes. manifesto, we'll talk a bit about the Tory one afterwards. Let's talk about the policies that Labour are putting forward in this election. Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent whatsoever. But we know who the hard left are in the you know, ascendancy within, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, national without compensation, hard left wing position, hard left, the 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 hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 are going to be U-turning on their social care policy and they're going to introduce a social care cost cap. So I just wanted to get your reaction to that. Oh, that was George Osborne, wasn't it? He's got a story coming out. Did that come from the Tory central office or from the Evening Standard? <laughs> it's going to be in the Evening Standard. I would suggest... I would suggest to you that you <laughs> a Tory U-turn on social care would be extremely welcome, and if George Osborne is at last doing something useful in his life, of, of, of um, supporting proper funding of social care, then thank you, George, for that. Jude? Yes. Hi. Um, <laughs> How nice to meet you. <laughs> the policy that I think is going to be the biggest draw will be, obviously, the scrapping of tuition fees. Yeah. I think it's smart because it will motivate students and young voters to vote and it will draw away a lot of the student support, which the Lib Dems already lost anyway, <laughs> Can't think um, why. but that they may have regained from their bizarre Brexit position, you... kamikaze Brexit position. I hear a um, lot of students are very concerned about the chemicals in the water and the effects <laughs> they're having on, on, and on, on, certain, yeah, on certain amphibious life forms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing there have been adverse effects. Oh, dear me. <laughs> but yeah, I think tuition fees, and the really strange, it's very annoying, it's, it's very, very annoying, the argument that free tuition only benefits the upper middle class yeah. is utterly bizarre and absolute bullshit. My sister is five years older than me, and she was the very first year of the Labour Higher Education Bill when it came in, which reintroduced tuition fees. She was the very, very first year. And nice. I was I... the first year of the Tories raised tuition fees. Yes. <laughs> and um, yeah. I was two years before the 2006 raise of fees to £3,000, which introduced the tuition fee loan. New Labour, then, thank um, you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that one, um, which introduced the tuition fee loan and removed what used to happen, which was means testing for tuition fees, where just like with benefits, if your family were earning under a certain amount, then your local education authority paid for your tuition fee. OK, so I didn't pay for my tuition fees, but my tuition fees were £1,135. So the LEA were able to pay something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's how much people who went to university between 98 and 2006 pay for tuition fees 
2006 went up to £3,000. And then it went up to 9000 and I think now it's like 12000 or something, which is ridiculous. But what happened is that my uncle, who went to university in 1994, was able to not only have free tuition fees, but there was a substantive grant as well as a student loan. So you didn't really have to take out a student loan, whereas me and my sister had to take out a student loan. And my student loan, because I was going to university in London, was £7,000 plus the mean test proportion, which meant that I graduated with £18,000 of debt. And tuition fees, there's a con because people think, because it's either interest-free, they tell you it's interest-free, but what they don't tell you is interest-free in the year that you borrow it. So whatever you borrow in the first year, if you take 7,000 in the first year, in your second year, you'll take another 7,000. But the 7,000 from your first year starts accruing interest. And then in your third year, the 7,000 from the second year starts accruing interest. And then after that, the interest is low, it's 2% annually, but it's still interest. But that's almost manageable when you're not also taking on a tuition fee loan and you're getting some kind of grant for housing costs. And what people weren't realising is that the system that Labour had from 1998 to 2006 was not perfect in and of itself when the tuition fees were very, very low. And I actually think tuition fees is a small thing. The majority of debt that students incur is from student loan. And I haven't really seen anything to kind of address that, which is what's going to make people who are debt averse weigh up the pros and cons of going to university. It's bad enough that you have to take out a student loan, but tuition fee loans on top of that is almost asking one step too far. But it wasn't perfect. There are gaps in funding for university where some of the most vulnerable kids fall into. So, for example, working class kids who are in care leave care at 19 and then they're at university. But usually, because they've been in care, they will either get social housing of some sort of their own. So it's not impossible to find a working class child in London going to university in London who is living in social housing and paying rent to the council. But if you're a full time student, you're not recourse to housing benefit. You can't claim housing benefit because I think it was in the 90s at some point, definitely the Tory government, they ruled that if you are a full-time student, you are deemed to be living at home even when you're not living at home. Wankers. Does that make any That's sense? That's such also? Tory shit. Just it, like, oh, so, ah. Yeah, so as a full-time student in university, you do, what, 12 hours of structured learning a week, if that definitely under 16 hours, definitely under 24 hours, which is what is supposed to count to be a full-time student. You're not actually doing the allocated amount that you'd have to do in further education, like at an adult college, to not qualify for housing benefit, but you don't qualify because you're a full-time student at university. And if you go to being a part-time student at university, then you can't take out a full student loan. Ah. So even though you would then be able to get housing benefit, you wouldn't be able to get the full student loan. So you'd have to take on a job or something else. So there are, it sounds like these are just like one or two cases, but those cases add up. And most working class kids will know someone in that position or who has to make that kind of choice. And what happened was that the tuition fee system just wasn't working for working class kids. I'm one of very few from my council estate. And when I was growing up, there were about 50 of us in the estate who were children because there were like 60 flats in the estate. Yeah. I think only maybe 15 of us made it to university. Oh, wow. That's a really big rate for inner London. Only 15 of us made it to university. Only, I think, about 30 of us finished college of the 50. 
And a lot of them didn't go to university because they didn't want to get into debt because their parents didn't see going into university as a good investment. Yeah. Now, when they argue about middle class students being the ones that benefit, they miss out the point that, okay, working class kids who didn't used to go to university used to be able to go to things like secretarial jobs, apprenticeships and be able to join the workforce. That doesn't exist anymore because most of these jobs now require a degree. Yeah. So working class kids are obviously still going to university in big numbers, but it's because they have no choice but to. If you could get a job as a typist on 18 grand a year without going to university, working class kids wouldn't go and get themselves into 40 grand worth of debt. Yeah. But to be a typist, you now need a degree of some sort. They're asking you for a 2-1 well, something that you could learn on Mavis Beacon when you were at secondary school. I find the argument against universalism so pernicious, but it's also just such a fundamental misapprehension of socialism and of any kind of social justice. I mean, it's predicated on this kind of austere notion that there's only a finite amount of money and we have to think very carefully about where we're allocating that money and take a bit of it from one place and put it in another place so it's more efficiently spent. But that's not what socialism's about. You see this in criticisms of the free school meals policy, in criticisms of Labour's abolishing tuition fees policy, and also in the way that I saw a TV news anchor the other day saying to John McDonnell in an interview that he was to the right of the Tories on pensions. Yet for not wanting to cut pensions because Labour have protected the triple lock on pensions. And this is the fundamental misapprehension of socialism and of social justice. We don't want to immiserate everybody equally. We don't want to level out the playing field by giving everybody the same shitty fucking life. Or we're like, alright, so this person has some nice things in their life. So they shouldn't get a fucking pension or free school meals or whatever. You know, we want everybody to be happy and prosperous. And the way that you do that is you give universal benefits from which the whole of society benefits. And and this is, in fact, how you create consent for these policies as well. If you look at the way that people in this country are not arguing for an abolition of the NHS, on any side of politics, really, although the Tories are moving more in that direction than we'd like, and Labour have moved more in that direction under Blair than we'd like, the fact that everybody is able to draw some kind of benefit from our health service means that it's quite widely supported. And I think rather than means-testing everybody to death, quite often literally, and creating more division in society, just just giving everyone good things can can be a good strategy. And if you're a socialist, it makes sense, is the fundamental thing I'm trying to say. It's not right-wing that you're saying we're going to give everybody something. The argument that I saw against the tuition fee pledge, when someone said, but if education isn't a universal thing, that's like saying health. And they were like, oh, well, no, because more poor people use the NHS. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even understand that logic. And then another person was like, why should nurses and doctors have to pay for the education of others? I was like, well, because you can't become a nurse if you don't get a degree. (laughs) That's why the Tories have abolished nurse bursaries. So now if you want to become a nurse, you have to go to college anyway. You now have to go to university. You have to get a degree. And you've got to pay for that degree yourself. And then you've got to pay for nursing. Or they're like, why should like some builder, some like working class guy. Do you not know builders who went to university? 
yeah, and that's the thing. Like, no degrees for people to go enter into construction. What if their kids want to go to university? What if you've got a family, but like all the men in the family have been like manual workers, and then they have a son or a daughter who wants to go to university and study English or something? It goes back to this is a culmination of. And one of my biggest gripes with my own university experience is when nobody's learning for learning's sake anymore. Everybody's learning to join a workforce. And so new Labour's higher education policy about 50% going into universities wasn't about encouraging people to better themselves academically. It was about encouraging people to become qualified for the workforce that has led to an academization of jobs that never needed you to go to university in the first place Mm. so when you're looking at attainment or enrollment rates for working class kids and you're saying oh it's showing that putting up tuition fees isn't deterring working class kids from going to university well no because they don't have a choice but to go into university because the option of jobs that they can go into without a degree is ever decreasing when more and more jobs are requiring you to have a degree of some sort, which is why you're seeing a lot of people taking what used to be called Mickey Mouse degrees. But Mickey Mouse degrees only exist because people are being asked to have a degree in something in order to be employed for anything. And until you address that and until you look at alternative approaches to qualifications, then working class children will continue to go to university and incur debts that they don't particularly feel comfortable with in the desperation that is going to lead them to a well-paying job when they graduate, which doesn't exist. Yes. yes. <laughs> so exactly. you're going to have, eventually, they're going to go, actually, I can't go into university for three years and come out 50 grand in debt if I'm only going to be able to get a job as a copywriter on 17 grand a year because I can't live on that well yeah exactly so that complete argument doesn't make any sense and actually what it does is it weaponizes working class people in terms of saying oh well they're happy to pay for it so why aren't you well actually they're not happy to pay for it they pay for it because they don't have any other choice really which is why the tuition fee I think that will hopefully motivate non-voting working class people who look at something like university and go I can't afford to go now because of these tuition fees and it will motivate them and their families to get out and vote for something positive and I think in general with regards to the Labour manifesto what I've really liked is that there are things in that manifesto that you can talk positively about and actually genuinely get excited for and see how it's going to change people's lives when it's implemented from day one I'm not getting that from the other manifestos I actually put a challenge out. There's nothing in the Toro manifesto that I can see people really getting excited about, except for, like, racists will be happy about the immigration pledge, which will never be fulfilled. So there's nothing. They're not offering people anything. Whereas the Labour manifesto is actually one about positivity and offering people something and giving people a proper alternative, which is what a lot of people have been crying out to the Labour Party to do for a very, very long time. What other policies in the manifesto kind of catch your eye? What do you think would make the most positive difference to people's lives in here? Raising the living wage £10 an hour. Yeah. I think that's going to make a huge difference. I think the cost of living ever rising, if you can get a Labour government in that can mitigate the worst of what's going to come from Brexit, that will have an effect and it will actually 
that little bit of extra in their pocket will actually end up going back into the economy because they'll actually be able to do things like buy themselves treats for once or something like that. That extra money will eventually end up back in the economy anyway. But I think that's going to be the one for people who have seen their wages kind of just flatline, who have been working minimum wage jobs and are feeling the bite the most. Seeing their wages go up, even just that tiny amount, is going to make a big difference. What do you make of the promise of 30 hours free childcare in the manifesto? I think that's really, really good. I think childcare is one of those things. When David Cameron talked about the big society and when Theresa May talks about kind of getting society back involved in aspects of social care and, and stuff like that, it's things like childcare. Childcare is a cost. It's an outrageous cost, actually. And a lot of families struggle with it. If you don't know anyone who can watch a kid for you while you're at work, then you're paying out a substantial amount of your salary to childminders so that you can work. And so I think what the childcare is going to do is give people just like a a breath for being able to go back into the workforce when their children aren't of school age. And it's going to be the difference between the anxiety of wondering if you're going to eventually lose your job because you always have to leave at three o'clock to be able to get to pick up your kids at school at time because you can't afford childcare or having to take lower paying jobs that do shift work because you need to be flexible in order to pick up your children because you can't afford childcare. And it's going to give a lot of families and parents a little bit more flexibility in the types of jobs they can go for because they know that they'll have that 30 hours of free childcare to fall back on what are your opinions on it as you say it offers such a huge weight off so many working family shoulders it's kind of you know essential really jack yeah i i think it's a great policy yeah it does put an incredible amount of strain on people not being able to balance work and childcare at the moment so yeah, I think that's a brilliant policy. At the moment, I'm looking at the way that Labour are going to strengthen rights in the workplace, which I think is incredibly positive. They're going to set up a new Ministry of Labour, which I've seen centrists go, oh, sounds like 1984, Ministry of Truth. Yeah. It's like, no, it's just... It's a, it's a, no. no. And they're going to give trade unions a seat on the board of the new Ministry of Labour. They're going to give it the resources to enforce all workers' rights. There's a lot of other stuff Labour's going to do that's excellent on rights in the workplace, such as banning zero-hours contracts, yeah. which, is something, yeah. which is something they equivocated on at the last election. If you read their manifesto, they pledge to abolish exploitative zero-hours contracts. Now, that wasn't a label of zero-hours contracts in general. That was a way of specifically delineating between good and bad zero-hours contracts, whereas Labour now are saying, we're going to ban them. Is there anything about employment tribunal fees in here? It's been a real problem for a lot of people on lower incomes. And when Richard Bergen became shadow justice minister last year, and I think Bergen's been really good in that role, actually, he said that he was unhappy at the last election about how Labour had said they were going to scrap the government's employment tribunal fees scheme, but they didn't say exactly what they were going to replace it with or anything. Now Labour are pledging unequivocally to reverse the unfair employment tribunal fees, which literally price people out of justice. That's a great thing, because I know that unions have members who come in who believe they've got a good case for unfair dismissal, but the unions won't take it on unless they think that they're going to win it, because mm. they're not 
interested because the fees are so ridiculous and if the member can't pay and the union don't think they're going to win they're not going to help in that way and it will give people recourse to actually pursuing bad employment decisions that are made by companies who sometimes take the piss I know that I think in the RMT they've had a particular problem with being able to go through with unfair dismissals because people have been put off by tribunal costs. So it was absolutely right that they pledged to go back on it. And it's very strange to see people talking about how the Tories are going for employment rights or to the left of Labour on employment rights. It's like, you what are you talking about? Like it's impossible to get justice from bad decisions not just for employment, but even in immigration, etc. Because the fees that are being introduced to pursue justice is to stop people from challenging decisions made by companies and those within power. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, to stop people who, by the nature of the very reason they're going to court, are probably yeah. in a precarious financial situation. Yeah, it's to stop people questioning decisions by higher-ups. So, I mean, this is an issue in legal aid as well, where if you're an asylum seeker or if you're applying for a visa for somebody and it's been rejected, and in order to go to court, you have to pay fees now, and the price is quite ridiculous. But also with legal aid, if you're an asylum seeker and you're claiming asylum, you go to the Home Office and you have an interview with somebody who works for the Home Office and they make a decision. And if you don't agree with their decision and you want to go to appeal legal aid has to pay for that appeal because obviously you're not recourse you don't have any money you're an asylum seeker you're not recourse to public funds you can't afford to pay but because it's so costly and legal aid funding has been cut so dramatically solicitors will now not really take your case to appeal if they think you have less than a 50% chance of winning. Which is all, but it goes back into the whole thing about seeking justice becoming something you have to pay for. And if the party that's putting forward these costs are being put forward by the media as someone who are on the left of a party that's saying we're not going to ask you to pay to get justice in your workplace, I find that very suspicious indeed. And they point out the justice system can be bewildering and intimidating, which is definitely true, especially with all these cuts that make mm-hmm. it hard for people on low incomes and vulnerable people in general, like you say, refugees, asylum seekers. It can be immensely kind of alienating and scary. Yeah, definitely. I think there are parts, places where I thought they could have maybe said more. Yeah. Maybe, like, I think leaving it to the legal aid report maybe a little bit weak personally Mm, yeah Uh, but I can understand why they did but uh, overall in terms of access to justice I thought there was a lot to be positive about in the manifesto yeah and they've got a really strong socialist in charge of that department as well so I don't think he's by any means like perfect Richard Bergen but I think at least he seems like a good lawyer and a committed socialist who will at least be thinking about how the law can serve people's interests genuinely yeah so should we do the Tory manifesto? Well, we should at least like briefly allude to it, I think. Yeah. A couple of sort of final thoughts on the Labour one, like what we think yeah. in terms of like the whole picture. I didn't actually know that fucking ITV debate was still going on. <laughs> I really didn't think they were going to go through. Like with Tim Farron and like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Lib Dems are trailing I agree with Tim as a hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Tim. The gay frogs are a menace. Uh, it's it's good that he did Brexit. It's so right for trolling. It's ridiculous. 
<laughs> like, I'll retweet any old shit about Tim Farron and gay frogs. <laughs> like, it's just endlessly amusing to me. And I think it's been even, like, quite a successful smear as well. Like, he's become even more of a laughing stock in the course of this election campaign, while people have just been posting, like, pictures of him with milk and, like, stuff about gay frogs and... Oh, the Guardian fucking did him for being anti-abortion, didn't they? That Yeah, that's come out as well. Yeah, but that's a bit more I, serious. I have the Guardian even come out for anyone in this election? No, they've been completely equivocal, sitting on the fence. I don't think they are going to, because there's no way they can back the Lib Dems. Nah. Because Farron is a laughing stock. They don't want to back Corbyn, and I don't think they can out-and-out out back the Tories without losing what tiny credibility they have left. So yeah. they're kind of just probably going to say hung parliament or something stupid like that. Maybe I'll come out for the Progressive Alliance, even though it looks, never know. Yeah, it looks completely unlikely. I mean, I'd say it would be shit anyway, but they want something shit. So they might like the kind of politics that a Progressive Alliance would put forward. I just can't believe they've really gone with, I agree with Tim. I oh. agree with Tim. <laughs> God. Oh, Tim Farron. Oh, Tom's back. Hello, Tom. Hey. You're right. How you doing? Sorry, the ball is bloody gone. So we're having a we're having oh, a no. nightmare. Oh no. <laughs> Fun. So we were saying we're gonna do like final thoughts on the Labour manifesto, a little bit of Tory manifesto chat, then we'll say our goodbyes, probably with a yep. little. Oh, by the way, Graham Linehan's and <laughs> like thrown in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need to get that in there. Definitely. Anything that's gonna get you soon. All right, <laughs> mate, yeah, not. <laughs> okay, I'll use a different I'm surprised this show hasn't had court orders put out against it. Oh, like, how are we he still... is just a terrible, terrible bellend. He's a fucking dick. He's, yeah. he's, fu- he's such a fucking dick. But let's keep things on the manifesto before, yeah, before let's, we let's. get sidetracked on fucking Glinner. This file is at two hours and 38 minutes long on my end. So let's, let's get move on. <laughs> um, so, so the Labour manifesto. We're we are happy with it. Yes, very. Yeah. I, obviously, I think there are things that I would have liked to have seen in there that I haven't seen. But I think the manifesto is a testament to Corbyn's determination to take the Labour Party in a new direction. Yeah. And I think what his critics have a problem <laughs> with now is that they can't claim any credit for this. There's very little in this manifesto that they can say we could have come up with this. Yeah. We could have pushed. At the same time, there's not too much stuff they can outright just dismiss as unrealistic, loony left utopianism. There isn't, but now they've seen that they're positive. I, I do think that a lot of them are maybe sitting there thinking, what the... F-? Having a very arrested development and going, I've made a big mistake. Yeah. Because they have backed themselves in a corner. They can't take any credit for this manifesto, which means that this manifesto belongs to Corbyn and the Corbyn project. Yeah. Now, if it fails, they are now in a position where if they go for the same policies under a different leader, they will be shown to have been hypocritical in saying that Corbyn didn't know how to be in touch with the electorate. Yeah. Because if the policies are working, then it was never the policies that he was going to put forward. It was always about his competence, you know, in air quotes. Well, it's about um, the tradition which, of a party he's from. And the thing about the leadership, they would then have to either admit their part in making him appear unelectable. Yeah. In terms of the backstabbing, the smears, the leaking, the leadership campaign, 
or they would have to admit their petulance in refusing to serve in the shadow cabinet as contributing to someone not being able to learn on a job who obviously was a backbencher for, for many, many years. Yeah. But either way, they're banking on a media being kind to them under a new leader that doesn't necessarily have to be. They're almost fucked in a way <laughs> because... They can't go for the policies because they've spent two years telling us these policies aren't going to attract back people to Labour. And they can't just change the leader because people will say, well, if the problem was that the leader wasn't up to scratch, what did you actually do to help him get up to scratch? Because most of the time you were telling us it was the policies that were the problem. Yeah, I think that's true. The policies that Corbyn has advocated, they were never going to be this wildly unrealistic far left agenda that a lot of people um, think. I think there are more radical possibilities to the Corbyn project, but a lot of it is just realigning Labour to some kind of basic semblance of social democracy, where they don't always think that the private sector is better than the public sector. They don't always think it's better to cut than invest, and they don't always think it's better to bomb first and talk later although actually social democracy has quite a strong record of bombing the shit out of anyone they disagree with but do you see what i mean they've re-legitimized actual progressive center-left policies to some extent and this is what i was saying a minute ago i don't think a lot of the objections to corbyn are about him as a person or about his policy platform they're about the tradition that he's from in the party. You get some Blairites saying, uh, you know, Blair's manifestos were more radical, progressive than this. I mean, it's not true, especially not relatively speaking. But even if Corbyn were running on a manifesto to the right of Blair, people in the Labour Party would still have a problem with the person putting forth that manifesto being from the radical left of the Labour Party. So for me, what the Corbyn Project is about, it's about there being the possibility of more. When Ed Miliband lost the general election, people said, that's not just as far as we can go to the left, that is further than we can ever hope to go to the left. And all of the while, the Corbyn Project has been about saying, no, no, we don't have to just accept that. This idea that we always need to advocate right-wing politics, even though they are morally and intellectually unjustifiable. It's that we can just demand something a bit more. And, you know, I, I want politics to be able to go further than Corbyn. And in my view, if you're vocally opposing Corbyn, you're saying that politics should be stuck wherever it is for now. If you're saying you have a problem with Corbyn not singing the national anthem, I get it. It's not a good image or whatever, but you can come up with an intellectual justification for that and a moral justification for that. If we're saying that a guy who doesn't sing the national anthem can never be prime minister. I mean, I would never sing the national anthem. I don't want to be prime minister. But to think that there is no place for somebody like me in politics is very depressing. And the Corbyn project is about staking out a place for a different kind of person with a different kind of politics in mainstream politics. And for the last two years, we've been going through a lot of attacks and stuff, and a lot of us feel vindicated now. Yeah. It's just nice to have that vindication in there. Yeah, I think Labour obviously had big troubles entering the Corbyn era with the loss of Scotland and the encroaching of UKIP into Labour heartlands, as they call them. And I remember back in November 
when some Labour MPs post-Brexit were making some kind of noises about chasing swing voters. I remember saying to them, you can't triangulate xenophobia. Xenophobia is what's going to be driving, what is currently driving UK politics at the moment, both openly and subconsciously. And what I've been heartened by in this manifesto is to see that there is still some fight within the Labour Party to not just kind of wholly concede the immigration argument in the way that the economic argument was conceded in 2010. Yeah. How much more fight goes into that will depend on the MPs that are returned after June the 8th. Because it's been a bad Um, bunch of selections as well. Yeah, and obviously the conference going forward. Yeah. I think Corbyn can look back on this manifesto and if he manages to get a higher vote share than Ed Miliband, which I think he will actually. Yeah. I think whatever happens then, he can look back and say, under all the shit that I got, with all the fucking twats I had to deal with on a daily basis. And that's how Corbyn speaks and everything. That I put out that manifesto (laughs) and managed to beat that fucking appeasement crap that came out two years ago that we all had to fight under. Yeah. Fair fucks. Fair fucks to him for that. Yeah. Because there'll be a lot more than I thought the Labour Party could have done in two years, given the absolute fucking shambles it's been. And if anything, it should motivate the left to keep going. Yeah, I'm seeing people who went off Corbyn now saying that they want to stay in the Labour Party and fight and support him in a leadership election if it happens. After yeah, I, I don't I don't know if he'll run for a third leadership election. And I think in a lot of ways, we kind of almost need to separate Corbyn from this manifesto because this manifesto very much belongs to him. Yeah. But we also need to open up the manifesto to life beyond Corbyn because, you know, he's That's not going to be MP forever. I think it'll be safe to say that his time in Parliament is coming to an end naturally anyway. Uh, I think retirement isn't that far down the line, even if it's probably not in his immediate future yeah but what we need to do is in one way to quell this kind of cult of personality raise the standard of those mps who are aligned to corbyn yeah onto a similar level kind of going forward so um, I, I think there's been some excellent media performers to emerge from corbyn's team recently yeah. so emily formbury who wasn't even originally in his shadow cabinet has come out as a great performer who even though her politics aren't identical to corbyn she can come out and put forth the line and you know, see off some Tory slugs as she did to Michael Fallon the other day. Um, you know, it's Barry, yeah. Barry Gardner. No, yeah, it's interesting you say that because I don't think Emily Thornbury is all that different to someone like Keir Starmer. Mm. But nobody ever talks about Emily Thornbury as a future Labour leader in terms of from like the moderate, soft left the MPs who are critical of Corbyn but not openly hostile then I think what that's done for Emily Thornberry is given her a lot more credibility in the left wing of the party that she probably didn't have before yeah but it's very interesting I think she's actually performed quite well there's still ropey in areas but you know more media training the better you get the more you do those appearances it's a learning curve for a lot of them because they were purposely shut out previously. Yeah. And, you know, now there are some gaffes, which is just a question of, like, learning on the job, and there are other gaffes which were own goals. But I think she's performed really well. I think Rebecca Long-Bailey has performed really well. One person who I thought actually has done very well is 
Dawn Butler, who I think kind of, yeah, and this is just my personal opinion, but I think she kind of got sick of the internal battles and just thought, I just want to represent my constituents. Quite possible. And if I don't agree, I'll say I don't agree. And if I do agree, I'm going to agree. But I'm not interested in this kind of tug of war. And I think for her credit, because previously I didn't really agree with a lot of positions that she took in votes, but I think she's endeared herself well just by separating herself from that almost toxic mob of constant complainers of the Corbyn administration. I'm just um, I'm just wondering what happened with her and Jess Phillips last year. <laughs> I still don't know what happened there. Who, who is this between again, sorry? Dawn Butler. Dawn but- she was chair of a women's PLP and then suddenly there was a coup and Jess Phillips was chair of a women's PLP. Yeah, and it was a, a, astonishing. I don't know who was responsible for that or how that happened. But I think what that did was kind of light a fire. I think that may have possibly made people kind of sharpen their eyes to the Corbyn complainers, that there were ulterior motives at force rather than the best for the Labour Party when it got to the point where people were being undermined and challenged for positions that they should hold. I do think as a member of the Labour Party, the fact that it didn't look at the optics of a white woman MP, brand new MP, coming in and challenging and then usurping a black female MP for chair. An experienced the, MP as well. Yeah, like, experienced Dawn, Sorry. Don't no, go for it. She was the first black woman to serve as a minister, wasn't she, in the I New Labour I believe government. so, yeah. And I think she was only maybe the third or fourth black Labour female MP. There's only been six. God. <laughs> Diane Abbott, Una King, Dawn Butler... Kate Osmore and Chi Onura. Yeah. Uh, that's it. God. For the Labour Party. That's ridiculous. That is it. Yeah. That's it. It's a big thing. With Jess Phillips, it was just that that seemed to be the way she advanced her career. And the way she made yeah. her name in the media was telling the first black woman MP to fuck off. Yeah. So <laughs> she's just. The less it the better, to be honest, I yes. think, at this point. <laughs> Um, I don't want to get suspended again. <laughs> Do you know what? I think two books, Jess Phillip and Caitlin Moran, who just made a mockery of writing books. <laughs> I don't know how these people get published. <laughs> but just, what, what? What is in that book, really, that's worth reading? I have no idea, but... I know. Yeah. We will hopefully one day find out. No, please no, never. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Wrapping up, I think Labour Manifesto is a testament to Corbyn's determination to swim through the absolute fucking shit of Labour politics and give people a proper, genuine alternative to Tory or Tory-like policies. And he should be commended for that. Absolutely. Quick words on the Tory Manifesto before we conclude. Uh, it's a crock of shit. The, uh, <laughs> the... It's not Thatcherism. It's not Thatcherism. It's fucking uh, wank, just mate. good old conservatism. No, it's, it's bordering on fascism. The social policy is the social policy is horrific. The social policy is is, is fucking terrible. I mean, 
they're basically asking old people to remortgage their house after they've gone mortgage free to pay for themselves to be able to receive care and i have to say i haven't really paid attention too much on this on labor but i don't understand why elderly care is separate to the nhs i've never understood that personally aren't labor Um, advocating an integration of the two i hope they are because it should be integrated because it doesn't make sense to pay national insurance your whole life and then to fall ill with something like dementia, which doesn't necessarily require you to go into full time care or into a hospital or into a hospice or something like that, but does require you to have help at home and to be told you have to sell your house back to the bank to get the money out from your house to pay for this because you can't go to the NHS and get that care from the NHS doesn't make any sense. And to say that you're not asking people to remortgage to sell their houses, that's exactly what it is. If you're saying that they have to go to the bank and sell shares in their house or percentages of their house to unlock the value of their house, the money in their house, that is just selling it back. That's just a reverse home ownership scheme where the banks become the people trying to buy the houses and you're doing like a 50-50 split with the bank. But there's so many problems here because it's not going to affect the very rich in society because the very rich in society will already have social care plans that they pay for already like they pay for private health care yeah and they will be rich enough to still be able to pass on their houses and afford their social care what's going to happen is the middle class who journalists were up in arms about middle class people are going to have to pay more in tax under the labor manifesto because 80 grand is just the middle class income even though it's the top five percent in the society (laughs) it's the middle class people who they have a house that has increased in value because of the housing boom and rise in house prices but they don't actually have any kind of they don't have any savings they don't have any pension plans they don't have anything else so in every other way they're still very reliant on the state except for the fact that they happen to be homeowners and they've paid off their mortgages yeah and so these people now have to sell their houses back to the bank to be able to get some care now if one partner dies and you've unlocked 50 percent of the equity and the other partner is there and they use the other 50 what happens when your care exceeds the value of your property what then what happens if both of them die who keeps the house there's so many issues at play here that are actually going to affect the middle class that you wonder if Theresa may has either gone with this policy thinking who fucking cares if i lose a couple of old people because the brexit vote is going to carry me through this election anyway Mm. because the social policy is incredibly risky for the tories because it's attacking their core voters basically just old 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 rich old rich people in the countryside because it's going for pensions it's going for inheritance and being able to pass on your house as well if you're going to have to now use your house to pay for your health care how do you do that going forward and yeah it's incredibly risky that's absolutely fucking terrible the immigration policy is basically Marine Le Pen's immigration policy in the French elections. Mm. It's it's just fascism, basically. They want higher earnings in order to be able to sponsor partners for your non-EU immigration. They want to reduce immigration to the tens of thousands, which is nigh on impossible. They're because including we have student shortages, numbers in that as well. Including student numbers, even though, you know, Theresa May actually bogusly deported 50,000 students. And I don't understand why people think that she's not just going to bogusly deport more students in order to reach these targets. Mm. But that's... immigration policy which the likes of Ian Dunst and their championing of the EU and remaining and all of that have nothing to say on the fact that the Tories are actually pushing not just for a hard Brexit 
but for a fascist Brexit. Mm. And I, I think that's my mmm. That sounded a bit like I was uh, enticed by the prospect of a fascist <laughs> Brexit. You were considering for mm, I quite like the sound of this fascist Brexit. But it is. It, it's a fascist manifesto. Brexit it, it means are... fascism. Well, I think for me, the biggest thing is that there's no costing taking free school meals away from four to seven year olds <sighs> in order to pay for breakfast. I mean, I don't understand. Fucking that is the most cunt. ludicrous. Yeah, like, policy I've ever heard of. Fuck, how, how the fuck does that make sense? Like, it's... Basically, what they're doing is they're going to take away the right to a free lunch for four to seven year olds. <laughs> Those bastards! Give... The people four who to... the key recklessly one, crashed our economy. Four to seven year olds in, in order to give all primary school students a free breakfast. <laughs> Now, I literally just poorest... slammed my head against the desk. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the poorest children are still going to be able to access a free school lunch. So this, again, is going to hit the very middle class who people were complaining about not being able to afford a tax hike for £80,000. Yeah. Because if you're a parent who works and you don't qualify for free school meals, or if you qualify for free school meals, it depends on how they're going to do the eligibility for free school meals as it is. Yeah. But if you're taking away from Key Stage 1 so that everyone can have a free breakfast, surely it would have been easier to just allow Key Stage 1 to keep their free lunch and bung a tiny amount of money to support schools who are doing breakfast clubs if it's about making sure that everyone has access to breakfast. Mm-hmm. Because breakfast is an easy thing for people to give their children at home, and it's relatively cheap compared to preparing lunch for children to take to school. But also, if the only meal that a school is providing is breakfast which will either have to be done before school starts so somewhere between 8 30 yeah how would that work would they ever or in the mid-morning break that means potentially for the children whose parents can't afford to buy them lunches who would have been eligible for free school meals but suddenly aren't going to be eligible those kids will be going hungry from either 8 50 in the morning or maybe 10 30 in the morning until home time yeah because they've had that lunch removed doesn't make any sense that's tory britain it's outrageous there are so many studies that show how going hungry during the school day is going to lead to a lack of productivity a lack of energy in children they're not going to make it through the day because they burn so many calories yeah just because they've got so much energy so children are going to be playing and they're going to have horrible burnout in the afternoon and it's going to have such a detrimental effect on their ability to learn full stop but i just think why did nobody sit down? Like, I know that the Tories are cunts, but this is a <laughs> level of country I've never seen in my life because who sits down and goes, we're going to scrap lunch for four to seven-year-olds? Okay, but if we're only giving them breakfast, what are they going to do if they used to be able to get a lunch but now can't afford to get a lunch? What are they going to do for food between 10.30 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah, it's a huge swathe of the day. It's a massive, massive block of the day. So there are a lot of very iniquitous policies that they're pushing. They haven't ruled out any more benefit cuts. Anyway, I think we've had a long talk about various things. I just want to say thank you quickly to our friend Daniel Copeland's dog, who urinated on a Blairite who was doorstepping earlier today. When the, the Blairite <laughs> knocked on his door, started slagging off Corbyn, saying, oh, you know, he's not the entire Labour Party. It's like, bitch, yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the dog had had enough. <laughs> yeah, the dog got busy, absolutely seen off. There we go. <laughs> That's that. Sensational. And, of course, in terms of people we want to thank, of course, there's Jude. 
Thank you for coming on our show, Jude. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Been been a great chat. It has. Honestly, thank you so much, Jude. It's been great. No, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, vote Labour, you cunt. Yeah, vote (laughs) Labour, you uh, nice people. We're doing good cop, bad cop here. Sorry, Jude. Good evening and good night. (laughs) Not calling you a cop. (laughs) Oh, very quickly, any thoughts on Graham Linehan, Jude? Absolutely. Fucking cunt. (laughs) (laughs) Scene off. I think that does it. I mean, our Twitter feed is just people saying that about Graham Linehan. I woke up today, I was like... like, 300 notifications, and then all of them were just like, Graham Linehan, you're a slug. You're a transphobic (laughs) tosser. He basically tried to initiate a pylon on me. (sighs) I told him to get fucked. Like... (laughs) Do you realise that you're basically trying to get people to hate me based on a link that was made by some kind of Gamergate fucking weirdo who stalks people on the internet? (laughs) And then he deleted the tweet very, very quickly. (laughs) But yeah, he's just an absolute thundercunt. Like, just a cunt of the highest order. What I'm just wondering is how does just, like, some middle-aged bloke whose politics seem to be more based on all the government are spying on my internet than anything else, end up having trans-exclusionary radical feminist politics. Like, how... He's not the right demographic. He's No, but he arse-licks all that new statement lot. And Do you they, think that's they, it? That is literally it. He follows all of the Helens, the Catelyn Morans, and all of those fucking pricks. And, you know, once they were saying tough as a slur, he just copied it because he hasn't got any fucking brains of his own anyway. So he just parrots back what his fucking idiot mates tell him to say. He's an absolute (laughs) non-entity. He has never said anything remotely worthy of paying attention to. And he lives off the fame of Father Ted, which, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Which he destroys every time he opens his fucking mouth. As a big Ted fan, this is very upsetting to me. Like, yeah, I love the show. It's what uh, Twitter's done to him. It's it's him... It's Ricky Gervais. It's oh, people God. who've oh, never yeah, been yeah. given an internet presence. I like The Office as well. And, and it's the, fucking uh, ruined yeah. by their fucking country every fucking time they tweet. Yeah. They should just be banned. <laughs> and Armando Inucci's not as bad, but just the way that everyone who wrote The Thicker Bit seems to have exactly the same politics as the characters of The Thicker Bit is quite depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's something about that whole set, though. Like, mm. they all turn out to just be really really dull yeah <laughs> and you think how and and then you start like a, what's his name robert what's his Webb. name robert webb yeah i recently rewatched peep show and i just thought this, this is, is a lot this is a lot more on the bone than i thought it would be but this is like, robert webb <laughs> you know, this is just you yeah. Like, you're just an idiot who just kind of eventually ended up becoming some kind of moderate Labourite. Like, ooh. Well, like... never forget, I've pointed this out on my show before, that, and I think actually, I, I don't know, so I don't know how much we can credit Russell Brand's uh, political awakening of a couple of years ago with, but he did piss off Robert Webb so much by saying people shouldn't vote that Robert Webb joined the Labour Party. <laughs> Only to leave <laughs> a few months later when Jeremy Corbyn became leader. That's fantastic. See you From read some effing Orwell <laughs> to I'm leaving the Labour Party. <laughs>
that whole, you know, like, cynical 90s comedy crowd just all turned out to have the most abysmal politics. Like, I'm so glad Chris Morris isn't on the internet. God, imagine. He probably is. He's probably, like, one, like, anonymous shit poster who we all follow and <laughs> like. <laughs> I think, actually, what I really like about this election policy is that there are no insufferable celebrities coming out for Corbyn that I have to pretend to tolerate. <laughs> It's all people I genuinely Yeah, like. Maxine Peake, who's sound, Ken Loach, who is a great filmmaker, and like the whole grime scene. Yeah, so it's like I don't have to pretend to kind of be okay with Russell Brand this time. Yeah. <laughs> Russell Brand's a fucking cunt. I don't care. I listen to his new podcast, actually, because I'm always like checking out the competition. And like, uh, it's shit. It's so shit. And now that Labour's actually got a radical leader, he's not advocating voting for Labour. He's all like talking about how, oh, you know, it seems to me like no political party has really taken a stance on Brexit. I'm like, he's just turned into a fucking liberal melt. The, the thing about Russell Brand is that because he has that Cockney accent, but he also can speak eloquently. Yeah, he waffle. He was the Blairite's idea of what they assumed that they could kind of mould yeah. into being like radical support for continuing that kind of new ish labor kind of blue labor push that they were going mm. for <laughs> and the problem with that is is that most people who knew anything about russell brand knew that he was a fucking prick yeah. and it was like the worst way to go about it at all because he's not anybody that anyone was ever going to take seriously anyway so yeah like now he's kind of left to kind of pretend that he actually generally ever gave a shit about this stuff by talking about brexit and fucking podcasts that no one probably listens to like some kind of bizarro ian dunn yeah he's, he does for trues <laughs> again now he's reactivated it and oh, i've no okay. idea how many people actually watch it but yeah like if he came out for Corbyn, I wouldn't reject the endorsement. I wouldn't be like, no, 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 we don't want him anywhere near our movement. I'd be like, all right, all right, fine. I'm good. <laughs> good, <laughs> I yeah. Thanks, but can you just keep him at the back? Don't go on the trues, Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> Has he dropped any suggestions that he may come out for Corbyn? Because he hasn't really. Nah. I haven't got the impression that he, he's no, he's really not going to do it. And I think he probably does quite like Corbyn and thinks that it wouldn't help him if he came out publicly for him. Yeah, I think the Ed Miliband debacle has probably made him a bit reticent to kind of jump into it headfirst again. Yeah. Which at least shows that Russell Brand has some sort of self awareness. Yeah, he. he <laughs> I think he legitimately. It's an interesting trajectory, Russell Brand. He's learned various lessons in his life, like, oh, right, turns out I can't be good in all these Hollywood films, you know, or, oh, right, it turns out it's bad to say that to Andrew Sachs on the phone. Like, he I does, almost forgot about that. He does learn as he goes along, Russell Brand. What it's, are your... It's a learning Sorry, curve. Okay. Sorry, Tom. Sorry, what are your retrospective views on his documentary that a few years ago? Was it The Emperor's New Clothes, was it? That was sort of like this... <laughs> What, what is your retrospective views on that? I remember my dad, who, like, is not a fan of Corbyn, is, like, a <laughs> bit of a Blairite, is, a, I'd say, you know, pretty right-wing, was, like, quite into that documentary when I watched it with him. Like, it was weird. Like, Russell Brand, like, said all the stuff about, when the banks did this and they put the money there, and my dad was just sitting there like, it's, it's a bloody disgrace. Disgusting. <laughs> I did not watch it. But it's interesting that you say your dad's a bit of a Blairite. Really weird thing is that my uncle was a massive fan of Tony Blair, like huge Tony Blair fan. Yeah. But he's a huge Corbyn fan oh, okay. and because Corbyn is our MP and he's oh. worked with Corbyn before. So he's a massive personal fan. 
Corbyn. So when Corbyn ran for leadership, he was fully behind it. And actually what's happened is the last two years has turned him from this kind of Blairite supporting Corbyn fan to like an arch Corbynite fan. <laughs> Blair, there we go. <laughs> to the point that when you see Tony Blair on TV, he just turns the channel. <laughs> totally <laughs> understandable yeah. there. No, it's like Blairites have single-handedly destroyed <laughs> with other but it's just quite funny for me that when an actual politician like Corbyn comes out and says this stuff, my dad's just like, oh, bloody unelectable, bloody uh, loony left, blah, blah. But then when it's like just fucking Russell Brand, like in a Michael Winterbottom film, he's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a disgrace, isn't it? We should do something about it. With this, yeah. <laughs> Russell no, Brand for Labour leader. A, I think it's a testament to how good being a good constituency MP can do to shift people's perceptions. Yeah. Because by rights, my uncle was, is an arch Blairite. He was very, very happy with the Blair government because he felt, in terms of immigration, even though <laughs> the laws were changing and were detrimental, people were still being able to apply for asylum and get asylum. Yeah. So he didn't really see the increasing right-wing policies that were coming in for immigration as necessarily a reason to stop supporting Tony Blair. But because he knows Jeremy's dedication to those stuff, he was able to see for himself and I was able to counter his arguments for supporting Blair still yeah. by saying, but look, he's completely opposed to Corbyn and he's actually hurting Corbyn. And as he started seeing that himself with the MPs that he used to think were okay coming out against Corbyn, he was like, actually, all these people are fucking yeah. pricks. Well, I mean, and I was like, yeah, the, didn't you see it? The fact Blair hasn't even been able to come out and unequivocally endorse Labour for this election... The party that he used to lead, he can't just say, yeah, obviously vote Labour. Obviously Corbyn would be the best Prime Minister. He's yeah. We know what party he's going to be voting for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> can. <laughs> I've said this before, but there was a rumour that emerged that Tony Blair was going to be running against Kate Hoey. And I'm not going to lie, no Kate Hoey fan at all, but I would back her to the fucking hilt against that murdering cunt. Oh, Goodness. <laughs> like, just be like, it's like Sophie's choice. <laughs> like, I choose death. I weigh it up by saying Kate Hoey has generally been quite obscure. She's been on the back benches, so she hasn't been able to adversely affect as many people's lives. Whereas Blair, by having full control of the levers of power for 10 years, was basically able to establish himself as one of the most evil and destructive people ever to live. Kate Hoey's in a bit of a fucking pickle because even the anti-Corbynites in her constituency don't want to vote for her this election. Yeah. They're not in voting for her at all. And they're really wrestling with themselves because they're like, well, I don't support Corbyn, so naturally I should support Hoey because she doesn't support Corbyn. Actually, I think I she don't... backed Corbyn in the vote of no confidence last she year. Did. did she? Yeah, I think she gave Corbyn a vote of confidence. Fuck. Yeah, I know. That, that went under the radar. <laughs> she's actually, because the numbers are so pathetic, she's actually in the like 30 or 40 most pro Corbyn MPs. But because she's such a fucking ridiculous left it Brexit. Yeah. MP, he's pissed off her entire constituency. Yeah, I know. She's not even that Lexit. She's really right wing about it. It's not like this Tony Benn style thing. No. Like, she's properly like, send them back. 
<laughs> anyway, I think we really do need to wrap this up because it's yeah. uh, yes. three hours and 20 minutes <laughs> now. Okay. How, how can people follow your work online and stuff? Uh, yeah. What's your Twitter handle? People can follow my ramblings on at Jude in London. Political where... ramblings is that. <laughs> I'm trying to do less Twitter rants, but you will find Twitter rants. Don't. Don't um, do more of anything. Interspersed with <laughs> pop culture, poll, and basically me just live tweeting food or Prince's face. <laughs> nice. About 40% of my personal brand. What about your work as an Agony Ant? Uh, yes, or, yes, please. I have rebranded <laughs> as Twitter's number one Agony Aunt. So please send me your woes to dearjudeinlondon.tumblr.com. I, I will answer most of your questions. I've taken a I, break from it because it was getting a bit grim. I love that I was looking at it earlier on before we started the show and uh, the first question on there, what do you think of the Green Party? And your response is, I don't think of the Green Party. <laughs> and I think that pretty much, that pretty much sums it up, yeah. I, I, See I, it all. I don't think about them. I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I don't. Like, exactly, because if it... This? I don't have any thoughts. Whoever directed the new Green Party fucking party political broadcast, I will find you and I will kill you. Well, it's, it's not gone down the storm amongst their own people, so it's like a massive own goal. Did they top their playground one where all the leaders are... They're very witty uh, playground... Oh, uh, mate, it's worse. It's even worse than that oh. smug, insufferable piece of shit. Where Corbyn is depicted as being kind of one of the children on this outside of the group. Yeah. Not really, yeah. They're is just melts, it, man. How is it worse than that? They're just fucking liberal melts now, the Green Party. They're just like, yeah, Brexit, yeah, pricks. Like, Caroline Lucas, I used to have a lot of respect for her. She's just attacking Corbyn at every opportunity. Ugh. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> before we settle like a billion more scores with every slug in the fucking country. <laughs> oh, happy release to Chelsea Manning. Congrats to a bona fide legend. Yes, I'm really pleased for her. I think now she can just kind of get on with her life, hopefully. Eat some goddamn <laughs> good pizza. Enjoying some of that pizza, yeah, she deserves it. Yeah, yeah, she is. She deserves it. Exactly. All right, so we will close by saying, enjoy your pizza, Chelsea. You fucking solidarity. Earned it. You fucking earned it. And solidarity to all our listeners. Thanks for coming on the show, Jude. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, everybody, vote Labour. Vote Labour. And uh, Dan Hodges is a prick. Dan Hodges is a fucking prick. He's a fucking prick. Okay, that's good enough for me. <laughs> oh my god, editing that is going to be arduous. Oh. That's alright, that's alright. Tom, are you going to put out that Owen Jones? I will be putting out that Owen Jones video. Well. <laughs> you will enjoy it. Great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Cheers, thanks again, cheers. Have a good evening, take care. Loretta, I'm a man,
moi bien aimé, tu sais que je t'aime. Bien aimé, 